This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I think the farthest uh, we had um, uh, the writer director of, uh, or no, the director of Nobody come on, and he was coming to us from a screening of the film in Russia. So, wow, <laughs> that was <laughs> that was fun. How long have you guys been doing this for? Oh, a thousand years. I don't. Where were we? Uh, we have, aren't we had some milestone or something? Um, oh, we've 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 done something. I think like 150 episodes now. It's wow. it's, it's oh, crazy, wow. and it's. And how did you meet? Where did this collaboration begin? As maybe that's another. Part. Oh, he was well. He was one of my commentators on Trailers from Hell. Uh, you know, our, our website where we talk about the trailers for movies and stuff and recommend them to people. And uh, and I had known Josh before because you know he's he's a writer. He's he's actually made a horror film. What um, horror film did you make? Is, Nothing you've ever heard of. Um, oh, now I'm just going to watch it, though. <laughs> That's not true. We might have heard. No one's. Heard. I, I wrote and directed a little movie in 2000 called Infested, which is. Um, my, my attempt to uh, comment on my feelings about the big chill in which uh, basically they're all killed by zombies. How was that um, Google nothing you've ever heard of? It's, it's, it's <laughs> tiny. That was the re-release title. Uh, it got like, no, um, it, it, it was a lesson. And, you know, it's, it's like, who do you make a movie for? And I basically made it for myself, my friend, Chris King, who I used to go to Grindhouse movies with and Joe Bob Briggs. And all, all three of those people, myself included, enjoyed the film very much. So the first film I consider it. Made together was actually a horror film. Which yep. Yeah, in, in college zombie. we made a zombie short together. Oh, fantastic! fantastic. That was also a movie that I'm pretending doesn't exist. I mean, it's not. Oh no, I'm very, I'm very proud of it. I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> Although my favorite, um, uh, when I was on the set of of History of Violence, because uh, I was up there for a couple of weeks. And people would come up and they'd be like, oh, are you, are you doing, are you working on the script? It was like, no, 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 the script's done. We're just shooting the script. Um, when you have an opportunity to watch David Cronenberg work, you, you take it. And, you know, they're like, oh, do you want to direct? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, have you directed before? I go, yeah, I've done one film. It's, you know, the sort of horror assault on the big chill. And people go, oh, that sounds fun. And I did this with about 100 people. And then William Hurt showed up and we, he's like, so uh, are you doing work on the script? I go, no, I'm this. And he's like, oh, you're going to direct? I go, I, I'd, I'd like to. He's like, have you done it before? I go, no, no, I've never directed before. <laughs> yeah, essentially, that's my answer. No, nope, yeah. this is the first time. I didn't even know movies were a thing until about a year and a half ago. That's right. That's right. Just discovered them. But, um, but no, I, anyway, um, I, I'm, I'm so excited to have you guys on because one of the things is the show has morphed from, you know, it really did sort of start kind of flying by the seat of our pants. It was like, uh, we need to do a podcast with Trailers from Hell. And um, I had a friend come in and convince Joe that it was actually much easier than he thought that any idiot could, could host a podcast. And Joe said, great, I'm convinced go host it. And then we started calling our friends to come in and sort of found the, the format of the thing. But as it went on, um, you know, eventually you run out of friends to tap, <laughs> and, um, although we still have plenty of them on and started kind of going through other means. And, and one of the things that's, that's come out of this that I really enjoy is um, you, you see a movie that just knocks your socks off. And now instead of just talking to your friends about how much you like it or tweeting about it or whatever, we have an excuse to basically stalk the people who made it and make them come talk to us about their favorite movies. Um, and 
uh, I saw socially acceptable stalking is, is exactly yeah it's all about correct correct and you know and 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 it's like even if you know there's just there's so many people doing great work in this business it's like you're never going to get to work with even a tenth of them but it's like it's it's cool to talk about your mutual passions. This is the movies that made me with your hosts Josh Olson and Joe Dante. I saw the trailer for Pig. Now I will confess, and Joe, I'm not even going to say the name of it, Joe. You can bring it up, but there, there's a there's a movie starring the gentleman who's in your film that um, uh, I uh, brought up many, many. I don't times. have to bring it up. Anybody who watches this show, it's become a drinking game. You're with, obsessed with Mandy. I, see, there oh. he goes. Uh, <laughs> huge fan of Mandy. In fact, and Panos is one of the first people we ever stalked and had on the show, and he was. He was you know, great. our editor we share with Mandy. Oh, hey, that, fantastic! Bachman. Um, did a wonderful job on both films. And, uh, but I, I very much worship at the church of cage in, in all ways. Um, and I mean, he can just, uh, I, I hope he would be okay with me saying this. He can just be, he can make a terrible film deliriously enjoyable and he can make a great film even better. And you can just tell five seconds into the trailer, which, which kind of form he is in, let's say. And the pig trailer just knocked my socks off. It was like, I, I, I I love him when he's out where the buses don't run. I also love him when he's reminding us that he's one of the greatest actors alive. And Pig Pig definitely falls into that category. And I remember thinking, I can't if this movie lives up even halfway to the trailer, I, I can't wait to see it. And um, uh, so we 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 tracked out your people, we got a screener. I was deeply relieved because we'd all but committed to having you on before uh, I had even seen the film, but you're watching the movie going, Oh God, please let it be good. And I came out of it. And I was just like, Oh my God, that it, it's, it's so good. Um, I know some people expect from it uh, and it's opening today for our listeners. Um, I've heard a couple of people say they're expect, they think it's going to be John wick with a pig. It is not John wick with a pig. And while I would love John wick with a pig, it's so much more than that. Um, and I don't want to give too much away, but it is, it is a, Beautiful, beautiful film. Um, Thank you just so an much. Incredible piece of work, gorgeously directed, beautifully written. Um, he is. Uh, I felt like I, you could see where he could tap into the character in this one. It was not hard to see, um, and uh, there there were just um, there were so many scenes that kind of resonated, uh, especially I thought with him and his career and and his his meaning in the world that he inhabits. Um, but it's, it's just gorgeous. And, uh, um, the, most of the things I want to say about the film, I can't cause they're giving things away, but kind of, I think one of the ultimate points of the movie, uh, that it gets to, I thought was so beautiful and powerful. I just, I, I, I was, I was knocked out and, um, uh, oh, we should tell. <laughs> so we're talking to Michael Sarnowski, who's the co-writer and director and Vanessa Block, who's the co-writer and producer, uh, of Pig and you guys, um, uh, we will we will talk for like a minute or two and then we'll dispense with this because you guys are going to be doing or probably have done a million interviews. So, but just the shortest version, you guys have worked together before. Is that we correct? Have, yeah. We met Vanessa, in, you want to do the intro? Yeah, we met in college, as we mentioned before, making this um, tiny little zombie film kind of just for fun. I mean, we were pursuing very different paths. So I majored in chemistry. I was pursuing a career in medicine. 
um, was writing screenplays on the side as a creative outlet, but was definitely not my, my path at the time. And Michael was pursuing film and art. Um, in my last year in college, uh, I heard about this little zombie movie that was being put together and thought it would be a really fun opportunity to, to delve into the filmmaking process a little bit more. And we met very awkwardly for that, <laughs> which we won't get into that whole experience. It was a lot of fun. Um, and we made this, this small little film with some great people. Um, and that really was the first, that was the initial encounter. And that uh, a few years elapsed. We both kind of went on our own journeys, um, and I decided I wanted to make a film, a, a documentary about sexual violence in the Congo. Um, and I contacted Michael and said, "Hey, do you want to edit and uh, produce this?" And he did, and that was really the first more formal professional project that we worked on together. And the creative alchemy was just immediately apparent, and we've been a kind of a, a team ever since. So that was the inception of it. Fantastic. And Pig came out of, I mean, it's a terrible thing. I mean, I've been writing for 30 years and nothing I hate more. Where did it come from? But every now and then you have to go, where, where did it come from? Does one of you have a foot in the, uh, the, the world of fine dining perhaps, or? No. So, so Pig came, uh, I, the, the closest thing to a, a restaurant job I ever had was I worked at a, a summer camp. I did the snack bar. That, that was about it. Um, but Kit, Pig really came out from, uh, for some reason, for a while, I had had that image of an old man with his truffle pig. Like, there's something just very endearing about that. Um, but I remember when I started doing a little research on it, I found this article that talked about how truffle hunters will sit out on their porches with a shotgun at night to protect their pigs and dogs from getting stolen because a, a good truffle dog or pig is is really valuable. Um, and something about that just seemed intriguing. I liked that idea that we're all kind of somewhat familiar with what truffles are and that they're quite expensive. But beyond that, we don't really know that much about the economy around them. And the idea that there's this whole kind of underground surrounding them was very intriguing to me. Um, and so then, you know, just after a lot of research and learning about Portland, we decided to set it there. Uh, and it all just kind of evolved from that asking, you know, who would this character be that would care so much about his pig being stolen and why, how would that send him on a quest? Um, and then another big thing, for for the the script was that was kind of the plot level and then um, when my when I was a kid my dad passed away and I as I've gotten older I've I've kind of been able to take a little bit of a step back from that and see how that loss has kind of shaped my family members around me and this script definitely became kind of an examination of how different people deal with grief in the long mm -hmm. term and how it kind of shapes the realities and how they perceive things um, so it was kind of a merger of those two seemingly unrelated things uh into into pig and then after that it was just a lot of going up to portland i mean even before we had financing or nick attached uh vanessa and i went up to portland to do kind of location scouts slash visiting farms to meet pigs and meeting with different restaurant owners in portland um so we just kind of got to know the city and a lot of stuff just evolved from that as well one of the best jobs that we had was um it was an excuse to eat our way across the state and the city more specifically and also get to meet with a lot of different pig owners you'd be surprised how many people breed pigs especially in the state of oregon it's kind of a thing we ended up going with this particular breed of pig called a cooney cooney pig which is this new zealand variety uh just purely based on her physicality like a and I might say it's a, as one of the more photogenic pigs I've ever seen. She's beautiful. <laughs> She's exceptional. Unfortunately, her name is Brandy. She has since passed away. So this no. is her I know. 
Um, but no, she was one of, she was probably the cutest pig we found and not at all a movie pig. We had to train her because our meager production could not afford a proper movie pig. So we, we went with the next best thing. <laughs> Just a normal pig. Normal. Um, pig. Untrained. untrained. Although we did, we did have a trainer come in. One of the producers had a relationship with an animal trainer and she came in for about a week and kind of just worked with Brandy uh, to get her, you know, kind of comfortable enough to walk around and, and do things. But most of the time it was just us on set putting food places or calling Brandy's name to get her to look over. So it was definitely uh, an interesting experience working with a pig. So um, you guys are obviously your movie people. I'm assuming. I'm hoping. Yeah. <laughs> That's part of the story of one of the movies on the list is, is that I wasn't always a movie. Ah, but no, but you want to talk about some of the movies that were kind of on do, your mind. Do the one you have in common. Oh, oh you, want to, you want to start with, so they wanted to talk about movies that sort of were on their mind when they were. Elements, no Country for Old Men, and we do have to quote it, Michael, that we've got to do that. Yeah, but you want to, they're going to start with it. so like, confident in your encyclopedic knowledge that you don't have to know which films we're listing prior to the interview. Like, you know all the films on our list? No. Oh, he'll, he probably, will know. I probably yeah. have seen them, but maybe not. You'll probably see. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, should we dive into No Country, Michael? Let's do it. I'm assuming everyone's seen No Country for Old Men. Um, that That's one that we've both just always loved. I mean, we both kind of adore the Coen brothers in general. Um, and I mean, for me with with Pig, the beyond just thinking No Country is, I, I don't throw around the word masterpiece lightly, but like, I mean, I think it's just a perfect film. But um, I think the thing that was kind of a reference for the Coens in general, but especially in No Country, was they do a great job of kind of both leaning into absurdity while also maintaining a really strong emotional investment. Um, and I don't think Pig went as far with some of that, but that was definitely something we, you know, looked to the Coens for was how do we, how do we maintain a strong through line with interesting characters and, and, and emotional honesty while also um, having it be kind of ridiculous at times. There's a great story about the Coens. Um, I guess they gave an interview where they talked about a childhood experience. They had a dog that I guess was very sick and had like lost its ability to go to the bathroom on its own. And so they reached a point, I guess, where finally the family decided we have to put this dog down. And the day that they were going to drive the dog to the vet to have its life terminated, the dog suddenly recovered its ability to use its hind legs and like bolted out the door. And as it's running down the street, it gets hit by a car. Oh, and oh, no. that, that is like in, in a very sort of tragic, but on some level comedic way encapsulates the yeah. color's tone beautifully. And it really does. Yeah, it really does. And it was really um, that you feel that in no country, which definitely leans more into the, the dramatic more than the comedic, you know, unlike some of their other films. Um, we have another film by the Coen. Oh, weirdly, I think it's maybe, I think because it doesn't lean into the comedic, I find it funnier than almost all. Like, I, I think it's hilarious. Like, I think No Country is, I know it's extremely dark and serious, but I laugh so much watching that movie. There are moments for sure. And it's one of the most quotable films of all time. I mean, just everyone's Javier Bardem's character, but also like the, the sheriff's sidekick. Like how many times have we like quoted, you know, should have brought weenies when like the car is in flames and just like, you know, it's a mess, ain't it sheriff? And he says, if it ain't, it, it'll do till the mess gets here. It's just every line in that film is just, it sort of, it carries so much more weight than meets the eye. I actually, I don't know, Michael, have you read the Cormac McCarthy? I got it and I've read like half of it. I've only read The Road. That's the only Cormac McCarthy I've read. Yeah, well, it's pretty I, faithful. It's pretty faithful. 
It's so faithful yeah. to the extent that, and not in any way to detract from the Collins, they're some of my favorite filmmakers, but I was, there was almost a little edge of disappointment in me when I, when I read the novel, because I was like, okay, the brilliance was in the source material for sure. But the adaptation is, is unbelievable. Yeah. It felt like Cormac's story married to the Cohen's quirkiness and sensibility really created um, something very special. No, it's one of the most interesting things about adaptations because you can do them where um, I've done all kinds where it's like, you know, you just go as far afield from the source material as possible to find the nugget that was interesting. And then sometimes just knowing not to, not to mess with it. Um, yeah. I mean, the famous one, and it's apparently accidental, I guess, is, is Maltese Falcon. I'm not a fan of that film. I watched that film actually pretty recently. Oh, she's losing all the points she made earlier. I'm sorry. <laughs> I watched it with intense seriousness. I wanted to love it because obviously it's highly regarded. It's seen as one of the best films of all time. I didn't, I didn't get what people see in it. I know that's an unpopular thing to say, but just being honest. What did you love about it? What do people see in it? Tell us. Gonna have to, gonna have to, I don't know. I have to pull the plug on this one, Joe. This is terrible. <laughs> Now there there are always room for conflicting opinions on our show. I know, but they pointed the gun back at us. I don't know what to do. I, that's interesting. Having to enunciate why you love a movie that you've seen seven thousand times since you were eleven, um, which may be one reason you love it. <laughs> that could be. It could be. I know. I just I just find it. It. Um, I mean, it's very brisk. It just keeps moving, and and the the. Uh, each character is is uh, thoroughly compelling, and watching all the pieces, all the sort of human pieces interact with each other, and and Bogart sort of riding through it all, and and playing everybody against each other in ways that you don't even see coming. And, and just, another reason you it, probably like it is because it's the first directorial effort of a writer. Uh, I didn't know that when I was a child. <laughs> you maybe you intuited it, and maybe your right. entire perception of the film is shaped by that very personal. Or maybe I'm a writer because of, yes, maybe you're a writer. But but the story is that, um, uh, and, and Joe will correct me, um, is that John Houston uh, got the assignment and he gave the book to his secretary, and he was going out of town, and this is something he would do. And and I've actually done it before with stuff where he's just like do it up in script form. So I can come back and start working on it. So I have something to work for, you know, turn it all into first or, you know, present tense and so forth. And he leaves town and she types it up and she leaves it on his desk. Right. Joe. And then who is it? The head of the studio comes in and sees it as a sister or somebody yeah. does. And they're like, cause he's running late and they pick it up and they go great. And they read it and they basically green light it. And he's like, I haven't done anything yet. <laughs> Although they have cut out. There's a few brief references to the homosexuality. One of the characters who of course that gets cut out. And not only does the movie come out great, it, it wins an Academy Award for Best Screenplay. And that was the version they used? Yeah. They, they didn't really do much. In the film itself. <laughs> There's probably a good movie in that somewhere. And imagine the woman who actually did the labor. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure she was totally uncredited. She did, she did more writing work on that thing than John Huston did. But Yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, to the Coen Brothers, like if it had been the Coen Brothers' first film, you might be sort of like, oh, these guys don't do much. But yeah, coming coming when it did in their career, it's like, these guys are such great writers. They knew, you know they knew, to sort of step back and let let Cormac McCarthy's work. Blood Simple was their first, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Their debut was Blood yep. Yeah, which is a yeah. great film. Fantastic film. It's kind yeah. of incredible that they can, I mean, you know, so much, and it was half the fun with Pig, was kind of discovering certain things on set and like finding things um, that that accentuate aspects or realizing what doesn't need to be in there. Um, I mean, it was a pretty short script. The, the script for Pig was, I think, 84 pages. Oh, nice. And 
we cut out a good chunk of the dialogue just because a lot of the characters, I mean, it already was a pretty quiet film where Rob barely spoke, but the, the, the relationships played so strongly and so well that some of the dialogue just was unnecessary. Um, and, and so, and that's like always a fun discovery to find. They're like, oh, these, we just kind of get this. We don't need this line anymore. And to have such an, you know, with No Country for Old Men, like there's something incredible that they knew exactly what it needed to be. And they translated it directly from the book yeah. to the screen without needing to kind of experiment and find it. Like it, that's, I mean, that's just the Coens for you. Their, their scripts tend to be almost exactly what the movies are. Um, yes, which also a good segue to talk a little bit more about Nicolas Cage, since that's one thing that uh, Coens have in common with, with our film is that he, you know, raising Arizona and yes. big, so no, I think to the point about minimal dialogue, Cage is incredible just because he is able to tell such a story just by a look in his eyes. He has an intensely interesting face. Um, he's very emotive, but his emotion sort of comes from this place of introspection and then externalizes itself. It's almost hard to articulate. It's very felt. Um, but he was incredible to work with. And I think we were really struck by um, how adept at um, identifying what was coming across as authentic versus, you know, not, um, that was a huge asset making the film because he was this incredible barometer of like, this just doesn't feel quite right. Let's, you know, let's adjust. Um, but yeah, he was, he was a joy to work with really exciting to see him do his thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, needless to say we would not have been able to pull this movie off without him. I mean, he just, it was that he, from, from the get-go, he just really understood the character. He he didn't have like a ton of notes. I remember the first time I sat down with him, I was waiting for like, oh boy, like he's going to take out the script and just start tearing it apart or something. But he was just kind of like, yep, no, that makes it, this makes it. Like he, he just somehow, it just kind of clicked for him. And on set, he just, he was just incredibly, I, I mean, I think I want to make it sound like I had to wrangle Nick Cage or something, but he just really got it, really understood the material and was just incredibly professional. I mean, there's, you know, he's an incredible actor, but on top of that, he's part of that is just, he's a wonderful professional and just knows what he needs to do, shows up ready and knocks it out of the park in like one or two takes on everything. And and he just understood it. And if he didn't, we'd talk about it, but in general, he just got it and went for it. And we yeah. could really, I mean, we shot this in 20 days with lots of different locations. Most of them were actual places in Portland. So we were moving around a lot. So it was a tight schedule and without being able to really lean on him, I don't know how we would have pulled it off. I find it interesting that people seem to think that this role, a lot of people have been talking about what a departure this is for him, but I think people forget about leaving Las Vegas. They forget about raising Arizona. They forget about Moonstruck. I mean, there's this, you know, long history of doing dramatic roles with incredible heft and weight. Um, and this was just another one of those, but yeah, I think people forget with him that like the choices that he makes, I think are very much by design. Um, and they're interesting because they're unexpected, but I think he's very much in on, you know, the, yeah. the, the journey. Well, the one, the one I kept thinking of too, is, uh, one I absolutely love, uh, Joe, the David Gordon Green, it's wonderful. which yeah. yeah, just not enough people know about. Yeah. Um, basically. I think the thing is that I, I learned is that at least in the 21st century, if Nicholas Cage is in a movie with one word title, it's, um, it's that. <laughs> it's gonna be Mandy, Joe, yep. Mandy Peg, Joe. Um, yeah, well, give us give us another one. Who wants to go first? Because that was the one that you both had on your list. Uh, we're we're, uh, we're uh, yeah. you know, do you want to toss a coin? Do you want to? You want to go Vanessa, or do you guys have a preference? What's, we, I don't. We don't care. Or 
are we tossing a coin for our <laughs> no, 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 you're, you're just, going. Why don't why don't why don't one of you do it? Then the next one, then the next That's one. We're trying I to do. determine who I goes. like Joe is very yes. pragmatic here, the voice of reason. Okay, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with witness for the prosecution, Billy uh, Wilder, incredible. Sure. So I absolutely adore the film. And I was actually trying to figure out a way, because all the films that we put on our list have some sort of relevance to the making of Pig. Um, this is one where it's, it's a slight stretch, but I guess, I mean, this film is just unbelievable. And it's kind of a window into my upbringing and relationship with that, with movies, which is that my parents were incredibly strict about what I was allowed to watch. So I actually was raised on like, kind of like pre 1960 cinema. So we watch everything from like, I mean, I was watching Easter Parade when like my, my friends were watching Titanic and Never Been Kissed. Um, we were watching Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and all, you know, all of these like very sort of, <laughs> I mean, classic, but like a little weird for, for kids, I guess, to be watching. But Witness was one of those films that just I saw it the first time, I think when I was like five or six and I was absolutely riveted. And for a child to be riveted by a courtroom drama, you know that it's delivering quite a punch. But yeah, I think I think the relevance to Pig is just that that was my first insight into how electric character can be. And that really when you strip away all of the trappings of the filmmaking process, and kind of whittle it down to its core. It really is about the performance and how close to truth people can kind of get um, in their in their sort of embodiment of, of a role. So no, Charles Lawton, Marlena Dietrich. I mean, that's a film that I spent my entire childhood quoting and loving, and an amazing um, direction by Billy Wilder. It's it's just extraordinary. I love it. <laughs> It's it's she's back in her good graces, Joe. I would say. <laughs> I mean, I was like worried you're going to burn my apartment down after the Maltese Falcon. Ah, uh, don't remind me. Don't remind me. Don't remind Looking me. Looking at my she window. I had never seen that movie until she introduced me to it, and I remember. I think, I think we watched it like on your old tiny VHS because you had it on VHS, and I think we watched it on like this tiny little TV. Uh, yeah. And I was kind of expecting because she had told me sort of the backstory of how she was raised with movies. And I was like, oh boy, this is going to be like really old fashioned and lame. Uh, but I was just riveted by it. I mean, I remember watching it on this tiny little VHS screen and it was, it was awesome. I mean, yeah. Another yeah. adaptation too, to kind of circle back to no country. I mean, based, based on an Agatha Christie play, um, obviously like a giant in her field. Um, but no, it's funny. Cause my, my dad used to, I think my dad my dad's a cardiologist, but I think deep down he's an artist and he's written like tons of screenplays on the side. He's written books. He's a, he's really a creative in his soul, but he would make these. So my last name is Block, Vanessa Block. He would make these things called block cuts where he would, <laughs> Michael knows about this, where he would go in and basically cut films to like a G or PG rated version of the film. So I could feel slightly normal in the viewing of it. So I could see films but they were like curated versions of the films that he had edited down. That's a totally which, normal thing to do, right? I mean, there were, there were companies that would do this for him, you know? <laughs> I, I know. But what he, was I, the one, Joe, do you remember that one that would, there was a whole thing for a year or two, they were claiming uh, that because they bought the movies, they had the, they claim it was a religious organization and they claimed yeah. that they had uh, bought the movies, the, I guess VHSs of the movies and now we own them. And right. so they would do our own versions. <laughs> oh man. I think the DGA finally put a stop to that. Cut, cut the naughty bits out of Titanic and stuff like that. But that's that's hilarious. Oh my god, yeah. that's um, 
you know, meanwhile, I'm going to, my, my father would take me off like I'm 10 years old and you can't believe the stuff he would take. Ah, take good for him. It's good for him. Oh, you know, McCabe what? and Mrs. Miller was the one that traumatized me as a child, what which is, is it's uh, Warren, Warren, it's a great Robert Ullman Western and it's Warren Beatty and Julie Christie. Uh, they open a bordello. It's a uh, you know, Western. There's okay. I, I perfect for kids. Yeah. And there's a scene where, you know, just a room full of, of, uh, and it's all men. So it's not, they're not glamorous, you know, these like fat prostitutes are bathing and talking shit about people. And it's like, I'm 10. What are you doing? I'm 10. I remember when I was, I was probably seven or eight. Uh, my dad brought home from Blockbuster, the crow. Um, and, and that, like, I think he was trying to sneak it by my mom. We all started watching it together. And I think he sold it to her as like, no, it's like a, sort of like a superhero movie or something it'll be fun uh and after like 10 minutes after the rape and murder and like people like doing drugs and my mom forced us to turn it off and i never got to watch the crow until i was like 20 or something um yeah i had to close my eyes in jurassic park when samuel L. jackson's arm is like severed and we we were told to like cover our eyes in theater for that moment so yeah and then we made a zombie movie as our first film together. That was the, that's what happens when you, you yeah. know, your when, children. When you repress it all, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Michael, why don't you give us one now? Okie doke. Uh, let's do, um, well, since on the same subject, let's do Midnight Cowboy, because this kind of relates to this subject of how we were raised with movies. So I never saw Midnight Cowboy until about six months ago. Um, and But it was this running, sort of running joke on set that, Alex Wolf and Nick Cage are both huge cinephiles. Like they know every single movie. And I, um, I do not, I, I was raised in a not, I mean, I, I adore my mom and my family, but they were not the most sort of, they weren't that into movies. It, we, we mostly watched chick flicks. I was raised on pretty much just watching what my sister wanted to watch. So 10 things I hate about you never been kissed, which 10 things I hate about you. I love it. I think it's a great, great movie, but, uh, but really until maybe high school, I didn't realize that I could kind of choose what movies I wanted to watch. It just wasn't, for some reason, it didn't click. Um, and, and so I have a huge, huge gaps in my knowledge of, of cinematic history. And, uh, you know, that became kind of a, a ribbing point with, with Alex and, and Nick on set. And they both really strongly felt that Pig was influenced by Midnight Cowboy. Like they were convinced that I had sort of written it somewhat like based off of that. Um, and that was a, a reference that we, they talked about a lot while filming. And I made a point to not watch it when they started saying that I, I was just like, okay, well, I'm not going to watch this until this movie's completely done. Um, and so finally when, you know, the edit was totally finished and it would not influence me at all. I finally watched Midnight Cowboy and I absolutely see what they were talking about. And I also just adored it. I thought it was an incredible film. Um, but yeah, it sort of spoke to my, uh, cinematic illiteracy. I've seen it once, um, years back. Um, so I can't really speak to it with too strong of a memory. I just remember the performances were exceptional. Dustin Hoffman was very memorable and very adorable. And I think I feel like at one point I read that the scene when he's crossing the street in a taxi cab, oh, yeah, comes real. Out. isn't that real? Yeah, yeah. that really happened. Yeah. Yeah. He, just, he just went with it. Yeah, he yeah. went with it. So that was really cool. So wait, I want to, I want to, before I display my, I'm just, Joe, do you see it? What? You go, oh, yeah, Midnight Cowboy Pig, no question. Uh, no. <laughs> okay, good. It's not just me. I, I, but, you know, obviously you're deeper buried into pig than, than I, any of us could ever be. I, draw, draw the line for me because I, I don't. Um, I, I think the connection they were, and I didn't really get this until I saw it, but I think they were seeing it more from a character perspective of, you know, Alex 
different. He was kind of welcoming an outsider into his city and sort of knows the ropes, but also kind of doesn't. Um, and, you know, just these two kind of misfits who are trying to find their place in a city and an economy. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think there are a ton of direct connections, but I think just that, sure. that core kind of buddy dynamic of this outsider and this person who pretends to be an insider um, and, and seeing them kind of navigate this world. I, when you put it like that, there you go. suitably chasing. Um, all right, fine. I mean, one of them is a prostitute. You got that, right? One of the what? The prostitute and a truffle hunter. That's the, it, it's very under the radar in the movie. But we cut out all the sex. When he, it's clear he's a prostitute? I know. What I, well, can I, 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 I'll say my favorite line. I'm going to get it wrong. And you tell me if I should cut it. I do not fuck my pig. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but he delivers it so matter of factly that it, only I, I could not think that's one of those moments. There's so many moments where you're like, this has to be Nicolas Cage, but like only he could deliver that line uh, so perfectly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, Vanessa, what, what do you yeah. want to next? I'm going to go with, let's just stay with the, go back to Cohen's um, a serious man. That's on the list. Oh, I, so, I mean, for any of us who are Jews, which I happen to be, um, this is such an unbelievable, hilarious, sweet, tender, comical depiction of the Jewish community. I, I've heard that some people were offended by it. I was not at all. I found it absolutely delightful. But another incredibly quotable film, but more importantly, and, and where it relates back to Pig, is that this is how we discovered Adam Arkin, the great Adam Arkin, son of Alan Arkin. Um, yeah. So we... Yeah, we ended up casting the role of Darius, um, Amir's father, pretty late in the process. Um, and Adam just <laughs> was so memorable. If you guys recall the film, he plays the lawyer and he's yeah. got like the, the trout on the wall behind him is just an element that I really remember from that scene. But he, he has a, a fairly small role in it, but he's intensely charismatic. Um, he has such a presence and such a naturalism to the way in which he, um, you know, gives the dialogue. He's just, he was phenomenal. And we, we felt like he had an intensity that we could lean into as our main villain, because, you know, the whole film is, can we do spoilers in this? Uh, it's your movie. It's up to you. It, I mean, it, this it, is coming it, out the day the movie opens. It's so probably going to be heard by a lot of people who haven't seen it. Maybe not. Let's keep okay. Yes, 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 yes. So I guess, how do we, we can't even speak about Adam Arkin in the context. Oh, of he's great. And he does a, he does yeah. a, Yes. He, he plays someone that has to kind of come up against Cage with equal gravity. And I actually remember on set, there was a moment, there were only a few times that I actually physically got chills as we were shooting. And there was a moment when Adam is across from Nick and they're sitting in these like leather chairs and Adam kind of leans forward, gets very close to Nick um, and delivers this line. And you can like hear the leather kind of scrunch as he moves. And he delivers his line. And um, I just, I found him absolutely magnetic and incredible in that moment. And I, I got chills. It felt like finally Cage was uh, coming up against someone that had, that had an equal weight to him. So yeah, yeah a serious man, both for that, its relationship to uh, my experience in the Jewish community and how amazing and comedic it was. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. M, what do you have to say? I mean, it's it? just a great movie, but yeah, yeah. I mean, thank you also introduced us to Adam Arkin, who was, yeah, just a, he came on kind of late in the process, but just slipped right into it perfectly and became, I mean, we shot his scenes the last two days of, of the shoot. And he, you know, like Nick and Alex have kind of been bonding this whole time. And, you know, he had to come in 
and kind of have some sort of dynamic with both of them. And he just did it. He made it work. Uh, and it was, he's also, he hasn't been acting a lot lately because he's done a lot of directing. Um, mm-hmm. so it was also kind of nice to have this guy who was a, an experienced director kind of come on and give the nod of like, okay, yeah, this, this seems good. This seems good. So that was very encouraging. I was just remembering we uh, ran lines with him um, again, literally the day of. And one of the things that we enjoyed doing was doing lines from the serious man. So we took him down. We were running through in the, in the basement of this home because his, his scenes took place in this beautiful mansion. So we're in like the lower level of the house on couches. And he's saying, Cy Abelman <laughs> to us, which is straight out of that film. And it was, yeah, it was pretty amazing. That, that might be my favorite. Coen Brothers film that I can't explain a lick of. You know, <laughs> can I help you understand it? You what? What? Can I help you understand? I mean, half my half my family's Jewish. We've had this conversation. It's it's Have like, you? I, like I don't get the Dybbuk, but no one seems to be able to explain the Dybbuk in the isn't well, the Dybbuk in the I beginning? Think it's all encapsulated by the opening Rashi quote: "Receive with simplicity everything that happens to you." I mean, I think they kind of they they sort of outline it in that in that opening. Um, to me, that's what that film is about, and the Dybbuk little bit in the in the front of it is is kind of an homage to that, which is like, he thinks he's just walking home, he's helping somebody, and it turns out that this is this is a Dybbuk. I mean, I think it really was a Dybbuk. I don't know. Now you get it? That's the movie right there. Makes sense. Okay, I moving on. It. No, I, <laughs> I mean, I've seen it nine times. I love it. There, there, wow. There's much, it's just, there's parts of it where I just go, I'm not sure what, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm receiving. I'm loving it. But you don't have to, you don't have yeah. to know. No, exactly, because it all—it's all somehow so coherent. That's the great thing—is you sense the coherence of it, even if you can't explain it. And, and I'm happy to go on that ride. Whereas there are some movies that make no sense because—and I'm not saying it makes no sense—but there are there are movies that make no sense because they make no sense. Well, I think um, it actually like speaks to a larger conversation about the Cohen's sort of philosophical approach, which is to go back to the story about their dog being hit. I think their philosophy in all of their films is this notion—you know—free will versus versus fate. And I think mm-hmm. the serious man definitely takes the perspective that everything is very much left up to, to fate. I think that differs strongly from my own personal philosophical views about the world, but I still feel connected to the film. And it's definitely like for, for Jews in particular, I think it's like a very uh, warm fable. Yeah. And I'll say you're, you're young. The world will beat that out. Of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A warm Wait. fable. Doesn't it end with world ending basically yeah. i mean kind of, well like his world like, yeah. that could be warmer than that warm. yeah. I think warm i think it's warm but there's something kind of lovely about that too yeah i'm, I'm, I'm good stuff Out of our hands yes <laughs> hey we're gonna get back to the pig people in a minute god damn it i had to say that i'm sorry i have the sense of humor of a nine-year-old boy sometimes uh i i, I apologize help is being sought anyway pretty much all the movies that we're talking about with michael and vanessa this week uh, are available through our sponsor at MoviesUnlimited.com. Sure, you can stream a lot of stuff these days, but when you buy your favorites, you watch what you want, when you want, and there's a ton of great content and bonus features like director's commentaries, deleted scenes, and all sorts of goodies that you don't get elsewhere. They're great. In fact, they're, um, uh, when I was growing up in Philadelphia, we would get the Movies Unlimited uh, catalog because they're from Philly and they're still putting it out. It's this big giant phone book size thing that has like every movie that's out on video. It's fantastic. So buy your favorites at MoviesUnlimited.com. You're going to find classics, imports, hard to find films, and of course, tons of new releases. Seriously, they do imports. They do stuff with other regions. They're, they're great. It's a great resource. 
prices are fantastic. The choices are endless. Own all the titles you love and enjoy all the bonus features that you just don't get elsewhere. So if you want to own your own experience, click the Movies Unlimited banner on your on our website and buy your favorites from hard-to-find films, imports, and more. Go now to MoviesUnlimited.com, the movie collector's website, where shipping is always free on orders over $50. So feel free to spend lots of money. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, Michael. Uh, okay. Next up, let's do Jarmish's Dead Man. Ah. Um, so the and all of these all these movies are kind of you know these are movies I love, but they're also very specifically related to Pig. Uh, and for Dead Man, the superficially the big thing was I listened to the soundtrack over and over again while I was writing it. So that that's always a fun soundtrack to to listen to for writing, uh, and it just kind of matched the vibe for me. Um, but then I think on a on a sort of more tonal level, Dead Man was that. First, it was probably like the first movie I saw where I understood, oh, you can use certain genre trappings in order to go off the rails and do something bonkers. Like, like you can use the you know idea of a cowboy type movie and then really use it to do something kind of surreal and different. And you know, Pig kind of does that to a much milder extent with you know kind of like a noir cowboy revenge thriller. All of those things are kind of represented, especially in the earlier portion of it. But it, it just kind of uses that structure to do something I don't think as bonkers as Dead Man does, but something a little more character driven and quiet. Um, so that was a discovery. For, I mean, I also just love that movie, but it, um, yeah, it was that that was an interesting discovery early on as I was learning about films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I'm, no, I'm, I'm a big fan. And yeah, am I right? The uh, yeah, it's Neil Young, and he the score yeah. is just him playing to it the first time he yeah, saw he did it. like I think he did two run throughs of it or something. Oh, that- or they did, this is the legend. They they played the movie for him and he just kind of like fiddled along with it, which I suspect it was a little more involved than that, but it still has that vibe. And it's yeah. just that grungy guitar. And like, and it has these also very quiet, like emotional little romance theme that plays uh, when, when they're in the flower lady's room. And I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful score. It's a great score for writing yeah. a movie about a truffle hunt. Musically, our film went through some an interesting evolution. Our composers, Alexi Grapsas and Philip Klein, were incredible. But I think, you know, as we were dialing in kind of the tonal intentions and all, the film went through a bit of an evolution from, there were so many different elements we could lean into, kind of more of the noir elements. And then there's this very understated, more dead man type score. And ultimately, I think it found its place more in the end of you know, naturalistic, minimalistic, um, which is in the vein of that. So yeah, I, I actually, and you're going to, I'm going to be on your shit list again, Josh, but I'm not as much of a fan of dead man as Michael, right. but right. it's um, no Maltese Falcon. I feel like you watched like half of it and didn't finish it. Not that that would, I feel yeah, like by half, you probably I, know. I, I, the whole thing. I've actually seen the whole thing twice. Um, I gave it two chances, but yeah, it's, it's less for me, but the music I think is really compelling and there's some great well, performances. And that's another good lesson from Dead Man is I certainly, it's one of those movies that I always tried to get my friends to watch and maybe half of my friends really liked it and the other half were like, this is super boring and weird. Um, and and I think learning that that's okay and that you can still enjoy a film uh, and if it speaks to you personally and other people might not get it at all, 
is fine because I'm preparing myself for that to be pig. Some people are going to be like, yeah, this, this scratches the itch and other people are going to be like, where's, where's all the action and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, somebody is going to go see it and think it's, they're going to want to know where all the John Wick action is. And, yeah. It's but, a slow um, movie. I, I'm ready uh, for it. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I do. I really enjoy Dead Man. I mean, it's not my favorite, I think my favorite John, I mean, I don't know. I just recently watched Ghost Dog again, which um, I absolutely I still, love. I have never seen Ghost Dog, which is highly, weird, I love highly John recommended. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. Are you, are you a Jarmish guy, Joe? I can't. Uh... I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a Jarmish guy, but I really like Ghost Dog. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, it's, I gotta watch Ghost Dog now. It's it's pretty it's pretty groovy. So um yeah, but I just watched oh, oh good. No, go ahead. Oh no, I was just saying I just watched Limits of Control for the first time, which was that was maybe like I like I, I do quite like Jarmish, but that was maybe Jarmish at he can go too Jarmish sometimes where it's just oh boy, what's uh, I mean there were things I loved about the movie, but it was just kind of um Let Jarmish be Jarmish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just somehow I'm always a fan of stuff when when people sort of maybe it's one of the things I like about Ghost Dog is it is a genre film. It's like it's an action movie. He's an assassin up against the mob, you know, and and then it's a genre film. And I kind of love that. I love putting people like that into those boxes and seeing how they sort of explode out of them. Um, it's it's yeah. glorious. It's really really great film. And I think it, it, I'm, you if you if you don't love it, Vanessa, you you won't have the same problems you had with Dead Man. I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, you don't know exactly what my problems with Dead Man were, but that's a conversation I'm, for another time. <laughs> I've, I've, I've got a lot of people who, I, yeah, you're correct. I don't, I'm just, I'm, I'm guessing I could be wrong. I, I know a lot of people who are, who are it's very slow. It's very we slow. We need to do like a follow-up Dead Man analysis, I think. We'll do that next time. <laughs> but that's, on your own I, time, like on your own time. <laughs> yeah, Jarmus, he's not, he's not saying you have to like this movie. I, I like a movie that says like, like it if you want. Like, this is what yep. it is. Let's call it a day. Like, I, that's. I definitely appreciate the confidence to the film. I do yeah. feel that there's this kind of confidence, you know, this is, this is what the movie is. And yes, you know, take it or leave it. So. I, I love Gary Farmer. Um, he's, he's just great. The, the, the guy who plays his friend. Um, oh yeah. Nobody. Yeah. Yeah. He stars in a movie that I love uh, called Pow Wow Highway, which seems to have been forgotten by the world. But um, uh, one Sunday, it's the year that both Heather's and Sex Lies and Videotape played there, which. What friend it called? It's called Pow Wow Highway. Yeah. Highway. I'm starting a movie list. Um, wait, so that was why, where, who do we, yeah. Okay. So Vanessa, we're back to you. Yes. Yes. Okay. So next up is Raiders of the Lost Ark. I had to include it because I, I'm not familiar with that film. No, I, it's many a, people are not, but this is my, this is, by the way, this is our, it's like a 1938 serial, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. I love when we can turn the kids on to something new. That's I think George wrote like a novel of it, which was adapted at some point. Yeah, it was like a radio serial. I don't know. Something, something like that. Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, come on, guys. This film is unbelievable. And the reason I chose it for this conversation is because for me, and I get very frustrated when people are unwilling to uh, give the moniker auteur to our beloved Spielberg, but this Spielberg's ability at camera movement specifically is absolutely extraordinary. And in my opinion, probably the greatest there is, I would say second is probably P.T. Anderson and the Coens are right up there. But this is just, I've studied all of his films. This is like a masterclass in camera movement specifically. And I think um, the relevance to Pig is just that, you know, 
where you put the camera becomes such a, a character in and of itself in the film. And it's really quite literally the lens through which you're seeing the film. And so, you know, we had to make certain decisions up front about whether or not we were going to play this as a little bit more of a static film. Unfortunately, resources were limited, time was so limited. So we couldn't construct these very elaborate uh, movement sequences. But there was one day when we did, and it was sort of innate to the location. We shot, do you guys remember the butcher shop scene? And there's like meat that's moving. Yeah, and I remember yeah. my excitement because that day uh, we were able to, the, the way that it worked is there was um, in a butcher shop, sometimes there's like these racks above with hooks and they, like hang, with pulleys. they hang these awful for vegetarians and vegans and animal lovers, but they hang like these carcasses on these hooks and they're able to pretty seamless, seamlessly move them in and out of the, the freezer room into the main part of the butcher shop where they cut them and wrap them. So we utilize the movement of the meat to kind of guide the eye of the camera in and out of, you know, from one room to the next. Um, and it was very simple, but it really created uh, an energy and sort of a, a naturalism just to the scene and to the moment that I think juxtaposed really well with the the other sort of static shots that feel much like portraiture. Um, so, you know, we were we were really trying to lean into this idea that Rob is feels very alienated from the world around him. So doing things fairly wide in scope, you know, locking the camera down, having shots that felt very kind of static and portraiture-esque was, was the move. But the, in this moment, I remember being struck by that and kind of thinking back to moments of Spielberg's camera movements that I found very compelling watching the master at work yeah yeah he's uh he's good at that isn't he <laughs> unbelievable i mean literally moving through if you if you study it x y and z axis literally like revealing things along each of those axes simultaneously it's it's really like a, a choreographed masterpiece and it's unnoticed by the eye um because it's so good it doesn't yeah. draw attention to it. And then when he's doing it with, you know, not just people, but, you know, airplanes in the background and a horse in the front. And it's just. Well, you can see a lot of that in Tintin, you know, his, uh, his animated. Uh, I find I just watched film. Tintin like two months ago. And I really. Which is, it. Well, it's technically, it's story wise, eh, you know, it's kind of, kind of who cares. But, uh, and the characters aren't very compelling. But, but the, the way that he uses the camera movements, because he's now in a CGI world where he can do whatever he wants, yeah. you know, and he doesn't depend on how, you know, how, where the lights are and how high the crane can go and whether you have to have a track or not. I mean, he just goes wherever he wants to go. And it's very liberating to watch because of that. It's, it's just, it's, it's a, as a story, it's, it's a little lumpy. Yeah. He seemed like he had a lot of fun with that movie. I mean, I think, you know, I, I think I kind of had low expectations going in because I was just thinking, okay, it's a Tintin story. I, I, it's been years since it came out, but yeah, I mean, he seems like he just, got to play so much with that, which was fun to watch. I think people forget though, that you know where you place the camera is an enormous part of the storytelling process. It seems yeah. sort of obvious, but there's literally endless choices that you have when you're trying to cover a scene of, of how to, to capture that and block that. And so, um, yeah, I've just, I think our film took a very different approach. Again, a much more static, um, sober approach, I think, but I always go back to Raiders, the Lost Ark, um, and also Jurassic Park, but that was one too many films to put on the list. Um, uh, there was a, a, a little, a little bit of a uh, difference in budget and time. Yeah, that's true. Versus big, Raiders, the Lost Ark. <laughs> we had to adapt. <laughs> and shout out to Pat Scola was our cinematographer on Pig, and he just did an incredible job with very little time, very little resources, 
Um, and yeah, I mean, part of, I think part of the look of it did come from kind of the sense of alienation we wanted for Rob, but, but then we also got to play occasionally and we knew, you know, when we wanted to really take the time to, to get something fun in there, like in the pignapping scene to really pull this off as one long take. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, and, and the, the butcher scene, it's really simple. Um, but I do enjoy that we have a little movement there because that is the first time we go off and see Amir in his own world without Rob. Like that's the first moment when the perspectives of the film begins to split a little bit and we sort of get a little bit of both characters because before that, everything's like very hard in Rob's perspective. Um, and so it's kind of fun to be swept into that and have this different energy of like, oh, this is the world of Amir trying to get noticed. And, um, and it was a fun opportunity to, you know, it was a really simple scene. So it gave us the ability to kind of Play with something a little different yeah <clears throat> it's funny I, I was just thinking about the the you know when you learn things i think the, the the moment it hit me how important camera placement was was as a kid and joe you disagree with me on this which which always good because i thought it was beautifully the um or maybe i'm misremembering but i, I remember seeing a behind the scenes shot from alien mm. and realizing that the alien really was just a guy in a rubber suit that could as well have been made in 1950 as today and that the reason it's so compelling is that the camera is always in the right place i maintain but are, are, do I, am i misremembering don't you have some issues with no no i, I think it's I think, I think the portrayal of the alien is brilliant until you actually get to see that it's a guy in a suit and it, okay. it, I yeah i never saw that there might have been a way to cut it that you could avoid seeing well at the movie. end when it attacks ripley right before the final moment at the yeah. very very end because yeah. because your your imagination does so much more i agree with what they show you pieces of than that it becomes innately disappointing Oh, it's got two legs and two arms, and it's got a head. There's a guy inside. You know, that's always disappointing. But the scene when it, the small version, you know, this sort of yeah, the small version getting blown out at the end. Yeah. No, no, before that, when it erupts from the chest of the guy, that's like I almost put Alien on this list. By the way, it's just it's incredible. I mean, that's it's the classic kind of Jaws thing of, of show less of it and it's scarier. And maybe with Alien, they were banking on we've established this fear and this grandeur around this creature. So by now, like. Well, it didn't exactly hurt the reception of the yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. uh, Michael, you're up. Uh, okay. Next up uh, is a movie called Revanche from 2008. Oh. It's an Austrian film. Yeah. yeah I don't know a ton film. of people that have seen it, but I really liked it. Several times. Um, yeah. Um, I love it. Have you seen it, Joe? No. You know, it's. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. It's a very that that I can see. I can I can draw yeah. a line from from A to B with that because it's very it's a very so still movie. Was, yeah, it's very still, and that was one that straight up. I mean, I think I think it was I think Alex Wolf. I think I that was one that I I showed to him. He had he's seen so many movies, but that was one he hadn't seen, and I, and I showed it to him before we shot the movie because that was one that straight up was just kind of a reference. Was just something that I I loved that movie. I it, it was a nice experience when I saw it because I saw it. My sister was in. Um, she was in college and somehow, I don't even think she was in a film class. I think she was in like a literature class and her professor knew the director and he was doing a screening in New York and she invited me to come with her to this screening Q and A. Uh, and it was the first time I'd ever seen a director in person doing a Q and A. And there wasn't anything that memorable with the Q and A, except that it was, oh, like it's a person, like a person did this, like, which, which kind of just jumped out at me for whatever reason. I was, I took me a while to catch on to what movies were. I was very confused. Uh, and so I was. It was it was cool to have that kind of peek behind the curtain and see just some dude talking about his movie. And then on top of that, it, it's just an incredible movie. It's very still. 
Um, it also is kind of about someone dealing with trauma and and the things that jumped out at me that I I, I think we tried to capture a bit in Pig were how it, it really like sticks with his day to day at times. I mean, there are scenes where he's just chopping wood for like five minutes after he's sort of had this tragic loss, and and you're just kind of there with him in this little cabin where his dad lives, um, and 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 these kind of just tiny things that we do to try and find meaning in our lives and, and, and the things we have to do while we're also dealing with these deeper losses um, and, and exploring that with such just kind of stillness and focus uh, was, was a big inspiration for me. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's a fantastic film. And, and when you said that, I kept thinking, you know, I think that watching the movie, I, I could have spent a lot of time just watching Nicolas Cage bumming around his cabin and hanging out with his <laughs> Me too. I really wanted them to keep. That was the one set we built was was this cabin. We built it in this state park, uh, and and they did a great job. Um, Tyler Robinson was the production designer, and they just you know we didn't have a lot of budget for them, but they they put it all into that, and it worked out. Uh, and we I really wanted them to just like leave it there so people could go visit. I just wanted to go camping in it for a night. Yeah, but sure. <laughs> like uh, that's a legal issue. If someone goes in there and hurts themselves and all these uh. rusty knives. We're going to get sued. So they had to tear it down. The set. Oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. Yeah, it's a lovely set. Um, <laughs> God. Uh, Vanessa, you, you've got one more, right? Or am I? Uh, yeah, I'm keeping. Oh, yeah. Yes, you do. Oh. The single female director on the list. Shout out to Lynn Ramsey, an incredible yes. maker. So this is uh, You Were Never Really Here, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Um, yeah, I think I pulled this one just, I think it's a phenomenal film just in general. Lynn's direction is exquisite. Um, it's it, it became, I think, sort of a tonal visual comp of sorts for us um, just because of Joaquin's amazing performance, you know, a guy moving through the world, kind of carrying uh, the weight of trauma on his back. Um, and also just, you know, how, in a way, I mean, her film definitely leans more into the surreal you know, there's these um, injections of flashbacks and whatnot that we don't explore in this film. But I think you definitely feel, again, the the, the weight of, of the trauma of the past on, on the lead. And that's something that we see in Nick a lot. It's a beautiful film. Michael yeah. and I both love it. Yeah, Why? No. So I, as soon as I saw that, I think I went on that because I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I loved it. Are you, Joe, were you a, a fan or? Uh, actually, I haven't, I haven't seen it. Good Lord. Oh, my God. You stumped Joe. Um, uh, I'm not stumped. I just haven't seen it. You they, can't see every movie that comes out. Well, hey, right they, they told me that you had. When, uh, yeah, well, that, who was they? I don't know. You, I think. Um, <laughs> all right. They so old fiction that they talk a lot. That's right. I'm fascinated by this. Is, this is sort of external to the film, but some people hate that movie. And I don't know right. why for the life of me. I was wondering if you've encountered that and had any theories, because it's like, I, I think it's a phenomenal film. Um, and it does yeah. that thing I love that I saw earlier where it's, you throw, you're thrown into a genre, but it just blows out beyond the genre. Just... That's probably the reason people don't respond to it. I think maybe it presents as, as you know, something of a, an action thriller and, and subverts it entirely. It's really a character study. It's, yeah. it's intensely emotional, intensely visceral. I also think like not to, you know, bring gender into this too much, but I do think the fact that Lynn Ramsey is a woman, she explored you know, the trappings of PTSD with a certain sensitivity and emotionality that, that maybe the perspective would have been different had it been a male director. So, sure. uh, I mean, she's exceptional. I, I started down yeah. a bit of a retrospective on her work and everything that she's done is really, really- Oh, Marvin Carla, Kohler, I also mispronounce it. Marvin Kohler. 
I didn't know it was such a polarizing film. I mean, everyone I've met, I mean, not, I haven't talked about that many people, but everyone seems to really love it, but I could see how, yes, it, it, it's the whole genre thing. Like it, it gets your expectations up. Although I think it satisfies those in quite yeah, a few I, ways. Yeah, I do too. It's just, I, and I don't know that it was particularly, that, 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 that I don't want to give people listening the wrong sense. I don't think there was a huge way, but it's just, I haven't encountered more than I would expect of people who are just like, oh, that fucking movie. Like, it's also just like a why? challenging movie, kind of yeah. unpleasant and like rough and, yeah, um, maybe. and dark. And I mean, it's, it's not like a fun movie to watch. It's, it's <laughs> That is true. That is true. But, I mean, uh, it is about like essentially pedophilia. So, you know, that's a little, a little tough pill to swallow for people. Maybe I guess. <laughs> I know. But our film, technically, there's like animal abuse aspects to it. So I wonder if we're going to be a tough pill to swallow. Those are the two things you never want to lean into in a movie. But, I, but, I don't remember. I didn't see any animal abuse. Well, in the pig. sense that the pig gets taken by someone that is not the pig's owner. That's a well, pig. yeah, but you don't see anything. I don't think. Yeah, it's not. It's no like, it's uh, like you're, you know, beating pigs in the, well, on screen. Cockfighter is the one you want to avoid. Seals. Um, yeah, Monty Hellman's <laughs> Cockfighter, which is it's a great film, but it's um, uh, and it's fascinating because it's Warren Oates in the lead as a guy who fights roosters, and he never says a word in the film, but he's the narrator but it has got real cockfights in it. And it's just, it's like, if you're at all, you know, you can never sit through it. I think have we cannot, have we entered a time is, is 2021 the year where you can't even imply that a pig has been kidnapped and that's too violent. There's no actual abuse. There's not even fake. I mean, I guess kidnapping a pig is abuse, but just it's not like a card up for the card. No, no pigs were abused no pigs or kidnapped. Abused in the making of this film. The pig was actually treated to uh, a culinary masterpiece by chef Chris Zarnecki, who was our uh, cooking consultant who came to set. And you notice there's this really beautiful shot in the film where Nick is sitting on the porch of the shack across yes. from the pig eating out of the skillet. I think it's one of the most sensitive. I love that scene. It's the last shot of the trailer. Yeah, it's in the trailer, it's exactly. A beautiful shot. Uh, yeah. That pig was enjoying a beautiful mushroom tart cooked specially for it by a chef that was on set. So if that's abuse, I want to be. Yeah. And I should, because I know people who are very, you're, there's not even fake abuse on screen. No. It's not like no, you, you it's know. It's not that kind of movie. It's the, the pig is picked up and taken away, and that's it. So, so it's. was actually it. not even in the scene. Yeah, so that's, it's, we didn't have the budget to do that. It's not even a fake pig being, but there's nothing. Because I know people who blanched these days. Yeah, yeah, it was the pig was very safe and very happy and got to eat that pie. And the and the yeah. pie scene, like I think in an early cut of the film, I mean we had like three minutes of that shot. We just it was so, so <laughs> and the pig was so into it that we just held on that for ages. I think in the end we it's still quite long, but we probably cut it down to like twenty seconds. But there was a version where you just kind of sit with them while Nick eats his entire piece of pie. Um, Perfect place for a pop song. But please, please put that on the Blu-ray. Just put that outtake on the Blu-ray because. <laughs> It was it was very sweet. Uh, well, Michael, you've um, got one more. I have got one more. Um, sort of went mainstream for the last one, but it's kind of in the vein of you were never really here because I remember you were never really here came out as we were going out with the script, and it wasn't an inspiration for for the movie, but it definitely was a good reference to be like, oh, here are some elements that you, that might make sense to you. Um, and Logan was is the movie I want to talk about because that also came out uh right as we were going out with the script and uh you know i i've always been kind of a superhero guy that's always been in some ways that's part of what got me into into movies um i think my love of spider-man transitioning with the whole like sam raimi spider-man that was one of my first movies where i just was realized that you could do incredible things with film um and logan just kind of 
it, we, I remember we saw Vanessa and I saw it together and both of us just cried at the end of it. And I think it was one of those things of it's a genre film. It's a big Hollywood movie, but it, it's also just incredibly heartfelt and tugged on my heartstrings more than like most movies have recently. And it just worked really, really well for me. Um, and yeah, it just kind of, it kind of hit at that time, right before we were going off to do pig and it just made us feel all the right things. And, you know, I mean, it has a lot of things in common. It's kind of this rugged old revenge guy and, and all that. Um, you know, he doesn't have superpowers or anything. Well, I mean, he has super chef powers, but um, <laughs> it was just like, it was the right time, had some of the right vibes. And I just have very fond memories of, of seeing that together, preparing for pig. So question for, I guess, Josh and Joe, if you guys have seen the film, what do you think is the meaning behind, or is it a, a dual meaning? Um, the line when he says at the end before he dies. So this is what it feels like. Incredible, memorable. Do you recall, do you remember the moment in the film? In Logan? Have you guys seen Logan? Yeah, not not no. since it came out. I don't. No, I haven't seen it since it came out either. So there's a moment when he's when he's dying. He's there. Yeah. With, he says, "So this is what it feels like." Well. Um, being being a kid, it's it's weird. I, I grew up on all these comics and and never had a huge end to. I mean, I I, I enjoy. I like that one. Um, uh, I'm going well. It's Wolverine. It's like you can't kill him. He's always getting chopped up and he doesn't care. And like he's always wondered. But but you're now you're he knows. Yeah, but you're gonna bring something more to it. I think. That no, that. I think that's the beauty of the moment. Is that it's both that, but it also could be. So this is what it feels like to really love someone. Ah, okay. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was, you know, and I wish they'd do it more. And it's still, um, I felt like, you know, it's it still fell into the kind of Marvel movie trappings and sort of, you know, big superhero battle at the end and everything. But I really wish that they would start, you know, rather than just sort of hiring some director who's done an interesting film and then basically making them make a Marvel film. It would just be so nice if they took someone, and Mangold seems to have done this, I think, more than almost anybody, and and make a movie you want to make with one of these characters instead of having to fit into the confines of of you know their the sandbox they always want to play in i want to see sort of more you know if they if they insist on making a million superhero movies can we yeah but we've got a formula of josh you know i, mean, I know a of money I these know. pictures and they have to have a certain amount of elements in them that people like and you gotta and you don't want to make them too different here i'm gonna say something terrible like the audience says no i this isn't like the one i saw last time but I, I don't want to read that the people who made Pig are doing, I, I want to read that the people who made Pig are doing a Marvel movie and go, oh, that's going to be really interesting rather than going, oh, it's going to be a Marvel movie with the names of some people. I think the people who made Pig would love to do a Marvel movie. No, I know, but I'd like to see them do one that they would like to do as opposed to, you know. Yeah, I, I think, I'm sitting, I'm screwing them out of ever doing a Marvel movie right now, by the way. But. Marvel, if you're listening, uh, we'd love to do Ignore that obnoxious movie, host. But, but, uh, but no, I totally agree that, I mean, I also think that, like, I think I would be a little bit incapable of like not doing something that was, I, I don't think, I, I think I have slightly peculiar sensibilities in some ways. So I think it would be very hard for me to just like force myself into some sort of Marvel framework. But, but that is what I like about Logan. I mean, it, it came the yeah. closest to these big superhero yeah. movies feeling like, you know, it felt like Mangold had kind of gotten the go ahead because of his last Wolverine movie. And, you know, it's a pretty weird movie considering, I mean, it's very sad and it's very mm -hmm. violent and um, it's, it's it's not really pulling its punches like yeah it definitely falls into certain tropes but um it's it it was and it's also the kind of movie that you couldn't i mean it had 18 years of history behind it and it had yeah. this loaded i mean you know it it did the tony stark thing before tony stark did and it and it had this this history that it just built up and 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 it was playing with that but also doing it in a really serious somber way and i don't know it really worked for me and 
I would love yeah. to see more movies like that where it just seems like they have yeah. free reign. Yeah. Like yeah, I want the next Spider-Man movie to be like just Spider-Man having a bad day. I don't need 47 yeah. villains and Charlie. It's like, I, I, yeah. Well. Agreed. Yeah. Those were some of my favorite things in old Spider-Man comics were just like watching him have, uh, are we allowed to swear? Yeah. Anything? I don't know who regulates this stuff, Joe. You can say whatever the fuck you want. But just, That's right. but just watching Spider, like Peter Parker, have a really shitty life was, yeah. you know, it was he was this superhero, and, and they sort of dabble with it. In the, I mean, and that's one thing that that Sam Raimi Spider Man did really well is you do just feel like this guy's not only just a charismatic nerd, he's like a loser, and he's kind of weird. And and in the new ones, they always make him sort of this charming nerd who, you know, he's dealing with high school problems or whatever. But, you know, in some of the old Spider-Man comics, he couldn't afford food. He was eating webbing like he it was it was, just, was borderline homeless. I mean, yep. it there, there were some furnish entirely and just get to the, the real grit and rawness of who these characters are. Sure. Have fun. Yeah. They don't always have to be. the. Although I, th- I thought uh, we've talked what well, we had. We've had the director on a couple of times. Uh, Spider-Verse, I thought was. Um, Oh yeah, a, a wonderful deviation from that norm too. Uh, I think it was the best film of the year. The it, year that it, it, it was, it was pretty it. damn good. Yeah. yeah. Also, that was exactly kind of they were allowed to do what they wanted with that. I mean, it, in common. The what? I, mean, I said bringing it back to pig. We have one thing in common also with uh, Nicholas Cage. What's that? Oh, that's right. Oh God, yes, Spider Man Noir. Yeah. You know, where's Where's that spinoff? I mean, I'm there. <laughs> we're all waiting. Right. That's right. I would watch the shit out of that. That would be yeah. yes. a Spider Noir movie. Um, well, well, guys, thank you so much uh, for coming in. The picture in. opens when? Today, Joe. Today. today. It's out today in theaters. How this nice. Day. How nice to a lucky have that for you guys. back. Is, yeah. is the film in theaters today? No, yeah. we're, it's Are coming out. When this plays. We're pre-recorded. We're pre oh. <laughs> What day is it? Oh, no, I missed the premiere. Oh, no. Uh, yes, it's coming Nobody out. Nobody told Vanessa. <laughs> Everyone it. It's great. I love it. Oh God, Josh and Joe. It's, uh, it's a great. Well, we, we recommend we recommend the movie highly. Although, of course, it's no multi-style. <laughs> oh God, you had to bring it. Only over. only time will tell, Joe. <laughs> yeah, it's in theaters right now, and it's um. But if you had to put a film in a time capsule and send it out into the cosmos as like one representation of humanity, would it be Maltese Falcon? The answer is no, right? No, probably not. Thank probably, you. Probably you not. Probably not. I think, um, what would that be? I would say Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Oh my God. <laughs> no. One of the greatest I, movies ever made. Well, what are we trying to achieve? So like if aliens saw it and humanity had died, what would be an encapsulation of what humans were and what they like, meant? What, more specifically, what would be an encapsulation of what you would like aliens to believe humanity was? Was or is? Is this is this luring them to come visit us or is this after we're gone? Yeah, or do we want to scare them away and be like, we're scary, don't come to us? After our demise. Oh. Just a nice tombstone for us? Like a nice, this Yeah, little- yeah. I would eat, although there, there is a, a dearth of female characters, which is uh, definitely a strike against it. If you want to get a sense of who we are, I would say Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> well, no, I want you to understand what we were. You would probably want to have, say, women in it, I would think. But absent that, I would say Dr. Strangelove. If, if, it's, our post, if it's our post-mortem, uh, okay. this is, this is yeah. who we were. This is why we're not here anymore. Would be, um, and 2001 could also be kind of interesting because that is kind of grappling with at least how, how we perceived our role in the universe and what we kind of thought of ourselves at that time. Um, yeah, pretty much any Kubrick would probably do a good job. Yeah. What, what would you put in that, Joe? 
Well, you know, if we want to scare them away, I would just send, uh, you know, a compilation of Trump speeches. That's not a movie. He's gone. Get over it. We won. It's He's over. not gone. It's only, it's I wish he was gone. gone. He's not gone. The movie. The movie. It's We Are Gone. The movie's floating around in space for aliens to find us and to go, oh, this is who they were. That's a great question. Joe's not going to. Joe, come on. Oh, I know. Gremlins. <laughs> no. Yes. I mean, if we want to stay on the way, we just send any zombie movie because then they'll be like, well, we're not going to go there. There's zombies. Yes. No, we're already gone. This is yeah, to, already, yeah. We're already dead. This is a representation of the best of us, ideally. Instead of, instead of Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead? I don't know. I wanted to put Amadeus on the list of films that we discussed <laughs> because it began my obsession with F. Murray Abraham. And like, come on, music is probably specifically... I feel like they were very confused by Amadeus. They're, they're choosing, <laughs> like... Hmm. Understand. I would put a symphony in it in a time capsule if I could, probably over a film. I think it's. Well, I, think we did that. I mean, wasn't that that record that we sent out that gold record? Didn't they oh yeah, there's a there's some some stuff. There's some. Well, that's 2001 too. Yeah, yeah it's full of but, symphonic music. There you go. So 2001, I would agree. We have a consensus. Thank you guys. And uh, the movie opens today. It's Pig, and uh, it really is glorious. So, thank you very much. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made. Stay safe out there, folks. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.